Assalamu alaikum, Maron Rami. So yeah, we you guys are just catching up now. We just, we had a serious devil attack, so we just were like not able to get the live stream going on our computer. So we had to change out some laptops and try and make it work. And alhamdulillah, it finally worked. So, inshallah, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Hopefully, it'll be a great session. And uh, I've got my Starbucks, so I'm I'm good to go. So anyway, um, I'm so happy to be here um, for another session. Um, as I ex had explained um, after the last session, I think we were all just so incredibly blown away and excited and, and people were sending in really lovely messages about how, every, how it touched them so much. And I think the professor, oh my God, I'm talking and he's not hearing me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this always happens. I just like keep going and all right. So I was just saying that after last, um, after the last halakha, people were so touched that they they wrote us really beautiful messages, and the professor was really amazed. And I think that because this had been his personal journey for so long, um, and he typically tends to undercut everything that he, you know, comes across. Like he'll be telling me stories like, "Well, I know this doesn't really matter. This is not that important. Probably nobody cares. Probably everybody knows all of this already." And I'm so ignorant. So I'm like, what? If you are ignorant, what about the rest of us? Then all of us are in trouble. But um, so he, I think he was just really touched by everyone's reaction. And then he went back to look at um, Surah Al-Hadid again. And then more meaning started opening up to him. And he started telling me stuff. And I was like, oh my god, OK. Let's ha you know, would you be willing to have another session? And, um, and then he said, sure. And then I figured, OK, well, you know, in case it's just a few you know, observations, then we could also do a little bit of a Q&A. So that's, that's how we got here today. So the good news is that now we're spoiled, right? We had the session from last time, and we've got a really good session coming up. The really bad news, though, is you guys, you know, we also talked about how, you know, these sessions take so much to prepare for, I mean, intellectually, but more so spiritually. Um, and that he, the professor really just said, I, you know, I cannot do this. It doesn't make sense to do it once a month because it's just too much when I'm teaching and all of that. We have to do it on a week by week basis. So after this, we have no plans for another one unless, you know, God comes in and says, all right, do another one. But, you know, honestly, it's like we just have to make it happen and make this um, really come alive. And I know people are feeling really passionate. I've seen a lot of people start campaigns, you know, or to like share on Facebook and whatever to say, please, you know, support this project. So I'm trying, you know, to also spread the word and coming, you know, we'll, we'll launch something hopefully maybe on LaunchGood or, you know, whatever. We're going to just try and push really hard. And the good news is that we've had a lot of people donate, um, but the bad news is not quite enough. So we really need to, you know, step it up and, and have everybody jump on board. And I think after what I saw last week and I'm sure after today, um, you know, my literally my my passion for fundraising has jumped about a thousand points because I really believe in this project and it's like this is the most important thing moving forward so I hope that all of you will feel that passion and and share it and spread it um, the really amazing um, good news is we did get one donation of sixty thousand dollars and it was like oh my god so alhamdulillah this was um, someone who had actually contacted me before we had the halakha um, because they were interested in starting like um, you know a, a scholarship fund for students that were studying Islamic studies and um, it was you know kind of part of a like okay um, thinking about the future and um, you know how can I invest money if you know we since none of us know when we're leaving and then I think when we had the the halakha and they saw it they felt really you know they said I'm happy to donate this money for the Quran tafsir project so 
that was incredible. So I think that, you know, definitely covers about, you know, 50 people <laughs> for a year. So we still need a few more. Um, I haven't had a chance to tally up where we are, but I'm going to try and update the number. You know, if you go to the dedicated web page that describes the project, you know, there's a, a little, you know, number of how many people are on board and how many people we still need. Um, and that number is was 21 as of when I updated it. But we've definitely had more people come in. And I also just wanted to mention that I've noticed that, um, you know, some people have donated $100 and then they didn't um, indicate that it was a recurring donation. So I just, I'm going to go back and reach out to some of those people because maybe they intended to make it a recurring donation. Um, and if not, you know, I don't want to embarrass anybody, of course, but I will, you know, just ask and then hopefully encourage people. So if um, if you're telling people just to, you know, let them know that they have to indicate, check the little box that says make it monthly. So um, that way we, we know exactly, you know, what we can do. But um, so alhamdulillah, inshallah, you know, and, and please just keep us in, in your prayers that, you know, that we can make this all happen. So um, I think that is all I wanted to share at this point. And I hope that we can gather again like this, you know, sooner rather than later. Um, and yeah, so let's get let's get busy trying to, to raise that money. Inshallah, make it happen. OK. Assalamu alaikum. Okay, so the, a couple of things. Um, yeah, I, I was very touched and, and pleasantly surprised by the response I got from many of you. Um, in response to uh, the Surah Al-Hadid in, in the last halaqa. Um, it, it underscored, perhaps for me, that, that this is worthwhile and that this is important. Um, and that the, the, the beauty of, the, the beauty of, this material uh, should be shared um, and that it's a beautiful thing to share it. We have a few things on our schedule today. So one is a little bit more on Surat al-Hadid. Second, I, in honor of um, the family that donated the 60,000 and in honor of their mother and uh, the late uncle uh, or the late brother of uh, the mother. Um, and in response to prayers, I think I would like to share with you another um, pilot tafsir, if you will, another sample, this time Surat al-Jathiyah. Uh, so that's sort of a, something I just decided on recently um, to do another sample tafsir, especially in honor of that family, because I was very touched by 
their whole situation and yeah i mean they they've they've written us and it was very touching and the, their whole situation and i prayed for them uh and then the third part uh inshallah um the time remaining then we'll dedicate to q and a we got questions We've got a lot of questions, I understand from Grace. Um, people sent in a lot of questions, people in the halaqa and outside the halaqa. So in, uh, I hope, now of course this is an ambitious prog uh, uh, program for today, uh, but may Allah help us and, and we get through it. Okay, a little bit more about Surah Al-Hadid. Um, after we finished last time, there were I, I realized there are a few things that I had forgotten. Um, we had already, I mean, the the last halakha was quite intense, and um, you you end up forgetting um, details here and there. Um, but for the sake of being complete, I think it's important to to cover um, this material and. There were some other things that um, that we'll talk about that I didn't necessarily forget, but if you if you that I learned after the last halakha that uh, worse was. So first, let's start with Surah Al-Hadid, the uh, chapter called the Iron, and the things that. I didn't emphasize, sufficiently emphasize, or the things that I didn't underscore uh, that are worth talking about. So, first I want to go back to um, Ayah 3, he is the first and the last and the known or the apparent and the hidden and he knows all or and God knows all This, of course, continues to say then that Allah created the heavens and the earth in six days and then ascended the throne. And that Allah knows all that is within the earth and all that is in the heavens, whether it descends from the heavens or uh, proceeds and progress or or uh, exists within the heavens, and then uh, at the end of uh, the ayah number four, uh, the amazing proclamation that Allah is with us wherever we are. It's worth noting here that. This expression, that God is the first and the last, 
the seen and the unseen, the, the external, not necessarily the seen, but uh, the what dwells in the world of the seen and what dwells in the world of the unseen uh, has had a, a remarkable impact on Islamic theology throughout history. Um, the, I'm not aware of a single Sufi tariqah, for instance, that doesn't um, have at the core of its dhikr and at the core of its methodology um, some discourse and metaphors uh, and parables uh, around the theme that God is the first and the last and that dwells in the world of the seen and the world of the unseen. One can hardly ex exaggerate the role that this conception of God um, plays throughout Islamic history. Now, of course, you can understand or you can read these words and understand what they're saying at the most uh, basic level in a literal sense. Uh, but that will avail you nothing. Um, are words that you don't start to have any comprehension of unless they they penetrate penetrate your heart and you feel them at the most uh, core spiritual sense it's like an awakening uh, very similar to the relationship with Allah is with you wherever you are My advice is that to spend time repeating if you take these words and turn them into a zikr, something that you repeat, and pray with them, in, 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 uh, you, you literally, after you do your salah, you just sit and repeat this phrase to yourself. The enlightenments, the nur, the light that it brings are remarkable. And when they, they, they penetrate your heart, you start developing relationship with the words. And this is another thing that, about this journey with the Qur'an. There is the commentary on the words of the Qur'an, but there is the unfolding revelations of the Qur'an that comes from a relationship with the words of the Qur'an and the expressions of the Qur'an. Because of the time pressure last time, uh, last halakha, I, I sort of just went over this quickly, but I, I, this is worth emphasizing a million times. To start 
supplicating and developing, a, 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 I can't describe it other than a relationship with the idea of, because we don't, we, we human beings, our logical processes are limited to the laws of physical nature as we comprehend them through our uh, analytical logical processes. And our analytical logical processes, when we see something, the way our brains are created, they're created in very much in parallel with mathematics, except those who are, the few of us who are gifted enough to be able to think imaginatively and abstractly beyond mathematics. Even if we're bad in math, that's, that's not the point. Our, still, our brain works in, work in terms of 1 plus 1 equal 2, 2 plus 2 equal 4. And if we would have a serious problem if our brains didn't work that way. Similarly, our brains, the way that our brains are programmed is that when we see something, we immediately ask where it comes, where did it come from? And the assumption, the mathematical assumption, is anything is derived from something else. When we think of something as being the last, we think of it as the end, the, the, in the same way that things have a beginning, things have an end in, in our typical human material universe. When something reaches an end, it ceases to exist, or the process has completed and is no more. As long as the process is continuing, we don't understand the concept of an end. Similarly, when we think of something as having a beginning, we think of it as having a past. So if it began at a moment, it either didn't exist before, and then the question is where did it come from, um, or the, the, the being of the thing either came, started at a moment and reached completion at the end of that moment. Um, but your relationship with God is a relationship that introduces you to a world that exists in, if you will, in a different dimension altogether. A world that doesn't follow the physical laws of nature. A world that, in which the laws of mathematics are not supreme, where one plus one is not necessarily two. And to say something began, it doesn't mean it comes from something. And to say something has ended, it doesn't mean it, near, it necessarily reached its completion or extinction. So, and we, that world cannot be comprehended through our analytical processes, but it can be reached through our spiritual processes 
And that's the power of that expression, because when you develop a relationship with these words, you start understanding a universe in which the only real existence is that of the divine. It is only God that truly exists and all, all else are derivations from the divine, from the supreme. And you see, you, you start your journey in understanding a world in which the divine is in everything. The divine manifests in everything. And when we talk about Surah Jathiyah, um, we will take a further, we will take this a further step in our understanding. Uh, that, that's the surah that I picked um, for today for reasons that I hope to, to explain because it, it, uh, it, it takes us a step further in understanding this expression, Surah Al-Hadid. So make a part of your dhikr. And I'll even say that your iman, for your iman to reach a point of certitude um, where you are not just a Muslim, but you are truly a mu'min. Um, you, you have gone beyond the, the declaration of faith to an actual faith. Um, it's fair to say that it really doesn't start its journey on a Sarat al-Mustaqim until you develop a relationship with Huwal Awwal Wal Akhir Wal Dhatir Wal Batir. As there is a, a dua um, that the Prophet ﷺ is reported to have repeated, Ya Awwal Bila Bidaya Wa Akhir Bila Nihaya. Uh, supplicating to God and the Prophet would say, testify before God speaking to God you who are the be beginning without you who, you who are the first without a beginning and the last without an end and that's the concept that I'm that I'm talking about it it doesn't time is not linear in Alam al-Ghayb in that world of faith and it in many ways the beginning of ascending beyond your physical existence. I don't think so. I think, oh, uh, the question is can it be done in English? Uh, I don't think so. Um, I think al-awwal wal-akhir wal-zahir wal-batin, I've said this before, there are words or expressions that exist in Hebrew, in Arabic, in Aramaic that seem to possess the keys to divinity. And of course, I can't tell you why these languages, why Aramaic and Hebrew and Arabic, um, 
But there is definitely something about these languages and the expressions of these languages that have a power of their own and an affinity to light. And also, by the way, an affinity to the dark side. So um, if you are a black magic practitioner, uh, it is not a coincidence that black magicians will often say things in Hebrew and Aramaic and Arabic. Uh, these languages seem to have a power that I can't explain. And, and so that is one of these expressions that you know, have a power that you just need to experience. It 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 can't be described. Um, okay, so moving on, so we can cover everything. I hope to cover inshallah. Um, note at ayah nine. هو الذي ينزل على عبده آيات بينات ليخرجكم من الظلمات إلى النور وإن الله بكم لرؤوف رحيم. This is the ayah that reminds us that Allah, one of the core objectives of revelation is to take human beings, what Allah describes as taking human beings from darkness to light. And then the end of the ayah number nine, إِنَّ اللَّهَ بِكُمْ لَرَعُوفٌ رَحِيمٌ Allah with you, human beings, is most merciful and most kind. This is be just not, I mean, uh, this is another one of these ayat that is an entire relationship. To understand that Allah's core relationship with us is a relation guided by compassion and kindness. And that when Allah advises us that Allah takes us from darkness to light, and that it is entirely for our own good, and that this relationship is guided by a compassionate, warm, caring dynamic, um, is core to the entire message of Islam. In, it is not an exaggeration to say, what is Islam about? It is taking human beings from a state of darkness to a state of light. What is this, this darkness? You can intuitively know. Darkness is anxiety. Darkness is depression. Darkness is loss of meaning. Darkness is a state of heedlessness and pointlessness a state of loss. Light is precisely the opposite of that. But what guides this relationship is rahma and ra'fa, kindness and mercy. Why is this important to underscore? Because if your iman 
whatever your religious practices are, the end result of your Iman is inconsistent with compassion and kindness. If your Iman, whatever that Iman is, at the end of the process, you are not a compassionate and kind human being. If you don't have empathy, if you don't have a genuine sense of care towards your entire existence, not just towards other human beings, but towards human beings, towards living things, towards non-living things, towards whatever you can imagine, the, 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 the trees, the, the birds, the animals, the, the seas, the air, then it is impossible for you to be described as someone being taken out of darkness to light. Again, I underscore this because this is a way that you can evaluate yourself and you can check yourself. For whatever your Iman is, whatever your Islam is, when all is said and done, are you a loving human being? Are you a kind human being? Are you a caring human being? Do you relate to your universe through that relationship of kindness and care or not? If not, then your religiosity is flawed. The end result, and this is really core for re-anchoring ourselves in the, in the Quranic message. When you see someone who claims religiosity and at the end of that religiosity is cruelty to other human beings, leave alone things like terrorism and murder and torture and all that stuff. Or lack of care, and I mean lack of care even for, you know, the children in the streets, for the homeless, a, a lack of concern about the environment, a lack of care about the suffering of animals, a, lack, a, a heedlessness towards who suffers when and how. It is impossible, it is a contradiction in terms to describe that human being as have gone from darkness to light. And this is something that we will see in the Quran repeatedly. Time and again, Allah reminds us that the Lord will not avail you. And, and when, when we talk about Surah An-Nur, inshallah, one of these days, you'll see this in, in very concrete terms. The, the law will not it will never be an excuse for avoiding that logic or all else. No excuses about the technicalities of ibadah or mu'amalat, the laws of worship or the laws of any other relationship. So th this is something, again, in, in, your, in the journey that we take toward dhikr and our relationship with the Qur'an, what one of the most basic things you learn about this revelation is at the end of every Quranic session that you have, 
at the end of every session that you have with the Quran. What should be the prevailing emotion that comes over you? Let's say you read the Quran in Ramadan. Let's say that you read the Quran every day. Let's say that you read the Quran once a week, whatever that. What should be the, at the conclusion of that engagement of the Quran? An overflowing state of empathy. An overflowing state of empathy, mercy, and kindness. If you sat in a session with the Quran and you close your Quran and what you feel is anxiety about your future, then the Quranic session was a failure. If what you feel is confusion about your past, then your Quranic session was a failure. If what you feel is anger with your significant other, uh, anxiety about your relationships, or if what you feel is how many hasanat did I earn, but I don't really care about anyone else, then that your Quranic session was a failure. I, I want to emphasize this again because so many Muslims spend time with the Quran and then they'll tell me, well, you know, with every letter I earn 10 hasanat. Alhamdulillah, they're very happy. Every letter they read, they earn 10 hasanat. But they're not thinking about how they feel about the universe in which they exist. It doesn't even occur to them. They, they think that the Quran is like some um, medium for self-indulgence and selfishness. How many did my hasanat counter go up? But they, they're not changed in any way. They're not a softer human being. They're not a lot more loving human being. They're not a more caring human being. I've seen people time and time again in life will read Quran, close it, and a short time later, they're still backbiting, they're still talking about other people, they're still fighting, they're still arguing, they're still yelling, they're still lying, they're still doing everything that is contrary to the engagement that they had with the Quran. That is insulting and deprecating the Book of God. At the beginning, you do this consciously, where you catch yourself, okay, I, I first finished reading the Quran. Am I, have I worked on my empathy level, on caring for creation? Not just my claim of caring for God is made concrete only by my relationship to ayatullah, to the signs of Allah. What are the signs of Allah as we'll talk about when, in Surah Al-Jathiyah? Signs of Allah are not just what is written in a book, but what is also created by God. So, let me even take it to, to, to a point of, when you finish reading the Quran, do you think about the ozone layer and feel differently? 
Or are you still the same indifferent human being? If your measure of careness for everything doesn't go up even just a notch, then your session with the Quran was a failure. This is a methodology. It's, it's a philosophy of life. I go to the Quran when I'm upset to soften my heart. When I'm upset, I go to the Quran to soften my heart, not to feed my rage. If I catch myself being petty or selfish, so if you are visited, for instance, by feelings of jealousy and envy, your treatment from zulumat to nur, from darkness to light, should be the Quran. But if you go to the Quran and you engage the Quran in the dynamic from darkness to light, and your session ends and you're the same envious, jealous human being, then that encounter with the Quran was a failure. Of course, what is even worse is that if you are among the, the majority of people who don't even try, so they don't even go to the Quran. So step number one is to go to the Quran, but step number two is to make the Quran an active medium for dark from darkness to light, and from darkness to light is guided by Ra'fa and Rahma and Ihsan, as we will see. Make that a philosophy of life, not just for now, but forever. Allah gave you this book to bring you from darkness to light, and from darkness to light has concrete results for us human beings. Concrete results is that you're more loving, you're more kind, you're more compassionate. If I do my salah, or I spend time with the Quran and my family doesn't experience a more compassionate, caring human being, then in what way was my relationship to the Quran a success? Think of it in concrete terms because as Muslims, we've lost that. Think of the, the Prophet and his companions. The beauty of their seerah. And we get accustomed to telling stories about them, but we miss that what transformed these people from barbaric Arabs, from basically a bunch of barbarians, to human beings of light, Huda, Wanur, Wasirat. Is this book? And if they had the same relationship with the Quran that we do today, the Quran would have changed nothing in them. In the past, 
I've known students who were very smart when it came to academic and scholarly things or Sharia type analysis. But I would, sometimes I would even tell Grace, you know this student, they're never going to amount to anything Islamically. She would often, we would often have this argument, so why don't you just cut them off? And, and I'd say, because I have to give them their full opportunity. But because I would see that they have high intelligence, but their relationship to the Quran leaves them untransformed, I would know that they're moral failures. Don't be a moral failure. When Allah tells you this message is to take you from darkness to light, it must be translated in something concrete, something tangible, and not something. And we'll, we'll, when we go to Surah Al-Jasiyah, we'll, we'll, you'll see a further step. But it is not whether you can testify on your own behalf, in your own favor. How do we know who's good or bad? Is it because someone says, I am good or I am bad? That's a biased testimony. Obviously, the one who will judge is Allah. But we get a sense, a reality check from the testimony of who? Other people. I will take you a step further and say, I get affirmation from the testimony of other people, affirmation from the testimony of angelic madad, angelic, my, my relationship with, with Allah and divine, and even from animals. If my dog loves me, and knows me as a compassionate human being, as a loving, caring human being. That is light. I used to know someone who, when they get upset, I caught them kicking one of our dogs. I knew at that moment that that person will never emerge from light, from darkness to light. Because even if they are very loving towards me or my family, but their relationship with the Quran doesn't translate into compassion and love with all living creatures, then they're, 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 they're a fraud. There's some huge and basic moral failure. Okay, if you go to Ayah 13 and 14, something I skipped last time. Remember, we've talked about, Allah is talking about those who are believers, but despite being believers, their hearts 
had not truly learned reverence of the divine. And because of that, they have slipped into hypocrisy. So they have become, although they are believers, but at the same time, they are unjust to themselves or towards themselves because their behavior has become hypocritical. What is the ailment that caused that hypocrisy? What is it that made them become hypocrites? Well, what made them become hypocrites is wishful thinking about Allah. That they indulge themselves, they indulge their egos, and they simply assume that Allah will forgive them. Well, Allah must forgive us. Oh, Allah will be, be okay. So they, they do the haram and they don't want to confront themselves about their haram very much. They, want, they don't want to think about it. So what they do is that they just simply, you know, sweep it under the rug. It, it's okay. Allah will forgive. Now, note here, يَقُولُ المنافقون والمنافقات للذين آمنوا انظرونا نقتبس منكم نوركم قيل ارجعوا وراءكم فالتمسوا نورا فضرب بينهم بسور له باب باطنه فيه الرحمة وظاهره من قبله العذاب So these people this is again verse 13 and 14 they go in the hereafter, they realize that they don't have light. When, as the Quran puts it, your that when your eyesight becomes like steel, so you see the truth, you, you, no, no longer are there veils and fogs, but you see the truth for what it is. And when you see the truth, you will see those who have light, light, the divine light flowing between their hands. And then it, it dawns on you that, well, I don't have that light. I'm missing light. Then you look to, towards those who were your people your fellow Muslims, your, you know, whoever the, the people that you knew in life. And you notice that they enjoy the light, but you don't have the light. The natural reaction is to say, I'm with those. Think of the final day and think, or think of back in the days when uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience as a child, because uh, as I said, we grew up in different cultures. But, you know, as a child, when you are forced to separate, uh, 
into a group and a group, let's say, half the class is going to go get shots at the nurse in the nurse's office and half the class is, has a recess. And then I realize that I am with the half that's going to go to the nurse to get shots. In, in my days, it was cholera shots. My natural inclination is, no, I don't really belong to this group. I belong to that group. Can, can I just sneak in and sort of be with the, the people who are going to go have fun? So the, the natural reaction is that you're going to say, those people who are lightless are going to say, well, wait, wait, I, I, I was among them. I was one of them. I was on their team. The response that will dawn on you is that, well, yes, you are officially part of that team. Yes, you officially belong to the pious, God-fearing, God-loving group. But you know that you were a hypocrite. That while those people had a sound relationship with law, you failed. Okay. So this comes this this in the Quranic parable this um, process where you start begging for what you lack. We human beings, and that's because you haven't learned honesty on this earth. So that dishonesty carries over to the hereafter. Would you say, well, can I can I fudge it? Can I can I bargain my way into safety? Can I somehow, in you know, in the same way that I did it in in, in on Earth, can can I talk my way through it? Can I end up safe by? BSing my way. Remember that you will be the same human being and your natural inclinations will be the same. If you are arrogant and argumentative, so you will be at that moment. If you have learned to be honest and self-critical and to look deep within and you've learned not to lie, even if it means not defending yourself, but admitting your faults. Well, that will cover over in the hereafter. Allah tells us at that point, because Allah knows, as, as Surah Al-Hadid reminds us repeatedly, Allah knows Allah is with us wherever we go. Allah sees the truth of what we are. At that point will come a decisive moment where there, as the Quran, Quranic parable puts it, a gate will come and separate between those who have the light and those who don't have the light. Okay, what is that gate? The gate of truth, the gate that separates between the godly and the ungodly. But the Quranic expression here, the part that's really fascinating, is that gate has one side one side of it is darkness, and the other side is light. See? There, there is a gate. That gate has a door. 
that door, the Quran's expression is fascinating. Ba'atinuhu, it's... Uh, first, I'll, t- uh, I'll, t- I'll tell you how that normally is understood and tra- translated. But that one side of that door is mercy. The other side is torment. If you look at any Quranic tafsir or any Quranic translation, what they'll tell you is that that gate that separates the saved from the unsaved, the side that has mercy is the side that is facing the saved. And the side that has torment is the side that's facing the hypocrites, the unsaved, right? And so that's how you make sense of that ayah. A door that has two sides, one on one side is mercy, on the other side is torment. The saved get the side of mercy, the unsaved get the side of torment. But if you look at the words of the Quran, I would submit to you that that's not what it's saying. It says, What is the batin? It's not one side. It's truth. It's core. It's non. It's it's un. Non external part. So it looks like torment, but its truth, its essence, its core is mercy. I think, and again, if I was doing this, the, my regular tafsir halaqa, I wouldn't impose what I think, but. My relationship with Surah Al-Hadid has convinced me that what Allah is telling us is that when it comes to the hypocrites, and remember, there are people who have fallen to hypocrisies. There are people who at some level believed, but not truly or not genuinely or, or committed numerous sins. The door that separates between them and the saved is one where externally or superficially is punishment. But the essence, the truth of that punishment is to achieve justice, to rehabilitate, and so the truth of it is mercy. The way I understand these ayat is that even the punishment for this group of people it is for own good to, to expatiate for their sins to cleanse them of their failures but not to doom them internally for these group of quote unquote hypocrites that in fact cleansing your sins confronting your failures, the essence of it, the truth of it, is mercy. What happens after you expatriate your sins? Well, if we take the Sunnah plus the Quran, there is very good reason to, to, to believe that you pay for your sins, 
you settle your score. But Allah doesn't punish you for vindictive reasons. Even your punishment is for your own good. That's the way I understand these ayat in Surah Al-Hadid. I, I, as you realize, I skipped over them last time, partly because they're they're a bit complicated. Um, the part, if you notice, uh, ayah fourteen, yunadunahum alam nakun maakum qalu bala, walakin nakum fatantum anfusakum watarabastum wartabtum gharratkum alamani hatta jaa amrullah gharrakum billahi alghurur. So surah, the ayah 14 is the part where it says those people who are separated by a door that looks like it's a gate of torment, but its essence is mercy. We'll, we'll tell the saved, we were with you. We, we counted ourselves among the saved. And the response they get, yes, but you took God for granted. You were whimsical. You worshipped your own whimsies. And you just assumed that God will be fine with your egotistical beliefs and egotistical behavior. Okay. Then, something that Sharif, uh, I'm sure all of you should know Sharif, my son, uh, brought to my attention that is truly remarkable. Um, he showed me this article after the last halakha that talks about iron and that but part of the article talked about iron in human body and as we said that iron is, is remarkable because it is in all of our bodies but it can become extremely destructive and toxic if it's a little bit beyond what it should be and if you don't have enough of it you have iron deficiency and that's a serious problem but there is some, something else that is quite remarkable about iron and that is the iron that exists on earth was not formed on earth the iron that exists on earth came from meteorites in other words, it came from outer space. It's, it's, not, it's not created by Earth itself, but it was given to Earth by planets, or I'm sorry, by whatever meteorites are, um, by bodies that are external to Earth. And in Surah Al-Hadid, if you notice, it says, وَأَنزَلْنَا الْحَدِيدِ we sent down iron. That was amazing to me. Um, it's very consistent with what I read in the article. That it, it, normally, when Allah talks about things that are were created on Earth, uh, Allah would say, "Wajanna." Or وَأَنْبَتْنَا um, um, Some reference to something growing in the earth itself. But 
until Sharif pointed out, actually hadn't noticed it, that that in fact it does say al Hadid. We sent down iron, uh, which is quite amazing. Um, you know, the Quran has these various references that sort of blow your mind. Um, I'm not one of you know the the, the gunho people that. Um, like some are that you know are out to prove that the Quran is has discovered all the sciences and all of that you know the 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 scientific miracle this type discourse, but there are things that are very difficult to deny in 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 the text of the Quran that are quite miraculous. Okay, so that's Surah Al Hadith. Now I I feel that we've. We've truly finished and completed Surah Al-Hadith. We'll move to Surah Al-Jasiyah. And I'll tell you a little bit about why I picked Surah Al-Jasiyah. But um, let's just take a three-minute break. (laughs) 